got two readings today. Um, The first one is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And next reading is from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We'll take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For you have envy and self-ambition. There you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap the harvest of righteousness. This is God's word. Let's pray and let's turn to look at God's word together. You've got an outline uh, to help you see where we're going. Let's pray for God's help. Father God, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts as we listen be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock 
and our Redeemer. So the first uh, really proper serious interview I had uh, was for a law firm. I was fortunate enough to work up in the city for a few years. And it was, a, it was a pretty big deal. You were in a conference room, dark conference room, not an outdoor one. Uh, it was pretty dark in there. There were two sober-looking partners from the firm wearing dark suits, dark ties. Everything about it was, this is a serious business. And they basically just spent an hour grilling me on law. Uh, which wasn't my strongest point, uh, which was a problem as a lawyer. But anyway, um, it, was, it was just a frightening hour of just being pounded with questions. And after about 50 minutes realizing this isn't going brilliantly well, um, the senior partner turned to um, the second list of interview questions, which are the ones uh, dreamed up by HR, and uh, just asked me the, the first question that came from the list, which was, what's your worst quality? Now, Having spoken to people in HR since, I know what the answer should be. When people ask you in a serious interview, what is your worst quality? The answer is, well, sometimes I'm just too hardworking. I didn't think. I just said the first thing that came to my mouth, which was answering stupid questions. (laughs) I hadn't meant to say it. It just kind of slipped out. I did not get the job. One loose word, and I'd ruined the whole thing. But what about you? How careful are you with your mouth? How often does your mouth get you into trouble? How often, uh, not silly, but unkind, untrue, revealing secret sort of words, angry, unnecessary words slip out of your mouth before you have time to close it? How often do gossipy things that make you sound so much better and other people look so much worse somehow get out there before you've really thought about whether it's a good idea? Why does it matter though? Why does it matter that you're careful with your speech? Well, it matters, I guess we all know it matters because words have an impact, but as a Christian it matters particularly. Uh, Our words have an impact on people. We all know that. How we speak changes things. Words don't just evaporate. We were here for a wedding yesterday. And when the couple said, I will, I do. And I declared, you are man and wife. Their legal status completely changed. Just a few little words. A couple of minutes is all it took up here at the front. And their lives are different. A little bit further over in London at the Old Bailey, when the jury says guilty, that tiny little word, someone's whole life can be ruined. Words have an impact. Words can build up. Words can tear down. Words can bring healing and joy. And words can cut and destroy and rot and ruin. Words have great power. But also when you turn to the Bible, if you call yourself a Christian, when you turn to the Bible, you find that some of the key passages where the Bible talks about human sin, that is uh, just the way that humans live our lives in a way which is opposed to God, some of the key passages focus on the way we use our mouths, as if that's the, the thing that above all else shows that we are far from God. It's not surprising. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 6.45, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So rotten speech indicates a rotten heart. 
That's why we had that first reading. Isaiah is, the, is in many ways the greatest of the Old Testament prophets of the people of God, chosen to speak with more clarity about the coming of Jesus Christ than anybody in the whole Old Testament. And yet when Isaiah appears before God, has this vision of God in the temple, he is utterly overwhelmed by the holiness, the purity, the beauty of God. And what does he declare? Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am an unclean man with unclean lips. He doesn't mean that he's just been eating a spare rib and he's got food all smeared around his mouth. He means, oh, I tell dirty jokes. I lie. I gossip. My mouth is just spewing out things that reveal my heart is not in the right place to meet a holy God. And so he says that puts him in trouble with the holy God. He says, woe to me, I am ruined. Unclean lips mean an unclean heart, mean a huge problem before a clean and holy God. So if you call yourself a Christian, it is a big deal how you use your words. For all of us, it should be an issue because our words have an impact. But if you're a Christian, it really, it's a very big deal. In Romans 3, the climax of Paul's um, devastating demonstration that all humanity is in trouble before God. None of us can say, God, I am so good that you should just accept me the way I am. The height of his argument is a mashup of quotations from the Psalms. And he focuses on the way we use our mouths. Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. How does he prove that? Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. At the center of what he says is the way we use our mouths reveals we are far from God. How we speak matters because they are not just words. See, when I speak the whole time, It's not just words. When I speak the whole time, and especially when I'm speaking about me, what it shows is that in my heart there is a selfishness that thinks what I have to say is so much more important and interesting than what you have to say. When I listen to you, I affirm I really value you, I love you, and I think that you're important enough that I want to learn from you. When I speak all the time, when I don't ask questions, when I don't listen... Well, I say, I am the most important person here. My speech reveals a selfishness in my heart so often. When I gossip or I'm not careful with other people's business, other people's secrets, it shows, you know what, I don't really care. I don't love you. I don't love them enough. To me, entertaining other people so they think I'm funny or they think I'm on the inside and in the know matters more than damaging you. That's what it reveals when I gossip. Worse still, often gossip is driven by bitterness about others. I, I enjoy that, that dark deliciousness inside of seeing someone who I resent brought down a peg or two by sharing a nasty secret about them. When I lie to protect myself, think what that says. When I lie to protect myself, it says, I would rather people think well of me than know the truth about me. In fact, worse than that, When you think about it, God knows everything. God can see everything. So when I lie to protect myself, what I'm saying is God knows the truth about me. But frankly, who cares what God thinks so long as I can fool the rest of the people because it's their opinions that really matter. When I tell filthy jokes and I swear, well, the ugly truth is we all have to recognize it shows that actually I delight 
in what is filthy and ugly in my heart. When I boast and exaggerate to make myself look good, it shows that I just don't think God is enough. You see, if, you, if you're a Christian, if you trust Jesus Christ, God says to you, I gave my son to die for you and I declare you loved, adopted. I share my, my universal, eternal inheritance with you. I declare you my child whom I love. And we say, that's not enough. I need these people to think I'm more than I am. It's not enough to have you think I'm great, God. I need to get affirmation from these people. So I need to exaggerate, make myself look bigger, better. See, my speech reveals where my heart is spiritually just as much as my accent reveals where I'm from geographically usually. My speech reveals where I am spiritually. And James has a lot to say about speech as he uh, looks at a faith that works, an authentic faith, what it is to, to, ha- to have a genuine, real trust in Jesus Christ. The key statement came back, if you uh, turn back to chapter 1 and verse 26, um, that's the key statement. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. It's sobering stuff. And he now expands upon it, really, in chapter 3. Uh, you've got three points. They're on, the, they're on the sheet, and we'll just work through the passage. I think we'll just stop, really, at verse 12. There's uh, more than enough for us in the first 12 verses. Firstly, then, taming the tongue is vital. Taming the tongue is vital. So, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That is not my favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, his point is just very similar to the one Jesus makes in Luke twelve forty eight. From those to whom much has been given, much will be required. It's very simple. He says, those who stand up to speak for God, who lead God's people, well, it's only right that if you preach from the front, if you lead uh, a home group, a KG group, if you teach at Sunday school, that God requires a higher standard. If you stand up in a position of authority, God will hold you to a higher standard. It's only right. And the problem with doing ministry is that the main tool of ministry is your mouth. And we sin with our speech. Verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. Now that is extraordinary. Think of all the different ways you can sin with your body. You can lust with your eyes. You can hit with your hands. You can walk away from responsibilities and towards things you shouldn't go to with your feet. You can use your mind to think sinful thoughts. You can have ugly desires in your heart. There's so many ways I can use all of my body to sin. And yet James says, if you can just control... Forget the other 640 or whatever um, muscles in your body. If you can just control your tongue, then you're perfect. Amazing. Why is that? Because almost every other one of the muscles in your body is easier to control than your tongue. And so if you've got that under control, then you're probably doing fine with everything else. I mean, it's depressing. Hearing Leah play the piano earlier, not even looking at the keys and... You can train your fingers to do that. Uh, some people can train their feet to walk up steps without tripping over. Uh, you know, we've been watching the Olympics, seeing the extraordinary things people can train the muscles of their bodies to do. 
You know, we can train our feet to juggle a football or dance Gangnam style, but can we train our tongues not to say things we regret? Who here could honestly stand up and say, I have perfect control over my mouth. I have never had a word slip out that I've regretted. I never find myself exaggerating to make me look good. I've never accidentally given away a secret about somebody else. I've never slagged somebody off behind their back. Who can stand and say that without, well, sinning with their mouth by being a blatant liar? (laughs) All of us fall short. Now come back to verse 1. Not many of us, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know we who teach will be judged more strictly. What makes matters worse is that the very gifts that enable you to, to be a teacher can be abused. So persuasiveness is a really important thing when you're teaching people about Jesus Christ. But it can so easily become manipulating people to do what I want and to meet my agenda. Humor is a wonderful gift and helps people to, to enjoy learning. Jesus uses humor regularly, but how often is our humor actually at other people's expense? Or just laughing at things we really ought not to be laughing at. Clarity. Oh, it's massively important that people uh, give clarity when we're trying to understand the things of God. But there's a temptation always to make clear things which are actually complicated. To say we know stuff when, frankly, I just don't know is the honest answer. Teachers need to be doubly careful. Taming the tongue is vital. That's the first thing uh, James teaches us here. And then secondly, he, uh, he drives its, uh, that point home with some colourful illustrations. Uh, first, the horse and the ship, verses 3 to 4. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Now, not all of us uh, grew up with our own ponies, so uh, you know, just to explain for those who didn't, there's a, the bit is a tiny uh, little metal rod that's put into the horse's mouth and attached to the bridle. And that enormously powerful animal can be controlled by a small rider just tugging on the bit. It controls the mouth and controls the whole horse. Likewise, the, the rudder on the ship, as he says. Uh, when I was a teenager, I got to go on the, the tall ships race and we got into a big storm in the channel on the first night. And I was 15 and uh, even smaller and weaker than I am now and was on the, sh- on the wheel and I was sort of stood like this. trying. We were in a force eight gale. We had acres of sail on this three-masted 150-foot ship and we were charging along. And yet even as a tiny 15-year-old, I could control the whole thing because the wheel was attached to a cable that went down to a rudder, which was not much bigger than one of the guitars here on stage and yet could control the whole ship. A tiny little rudder, control the whole thing. The entire direction, he's saying here, of a horse or a ship is controlled by that tiny thing, the bit or the rudder. And he's saying likewise, the entire direction of your life is in many ways determined by your mouth. How you speak will determine your relationships, your work, everything. And if the bit is controlled by the rider and the rudder is controlled by the helmsman, who controls the tongue? Well, the human heart controls the tongue, Jesus teaches, as we've already seen. But who controls your heart? Does the way you speak reveal that your heart is ruled by the Lord Jesus and being changed by the Holy Spirit? Or is it ruled by your own desires? 
And James now gives us a stark warning in verses 6 to 8 with his third image, which is the raging forest fire. As he says in the second point, careless talk costs lives. I'm sure you've seen the famous uh, wartime picture, um, Careless Talk Costs Lives. The, the couple um, gossiping some wartime secret. I'm not sure either of them look like they particularly know many wartime secrets, but behind them are uh, Goering and Himmler um, on a London bus. Uh, it was a, a slightly bizarre but very effective poster, apparently, in the war. It's incredible the damage that can be done by letting things slip with the tongue. Verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's amazing the damage that can be done with an angry word or a loose word. Gossip, rumour. There was an extraordinary case uh, back in uh, 2000 when there was a there was a massive thing about paedophiles being released into the community on uh, control orders, and uh, there was a there were sort of vigilante groups going around the country. I don't know if people remember this. And then the, the the most extraordinary case of all, I think it was in South Wales, there was a doctor called Yvette Cloet who was a paediatrician. But people got confused. They, what, what do they do? He's a pedo. He's a pedo, and pedo was graffitied on their house, and they were driven out of their home by an angry mob. Just no one stopped to check the facts. It was just a word. Yeah, they're a pedo, and ran away. Now, I guess for most of us, the danger isn't that we're going to um, go and run somebody out of their house because of a random word that's been spoken or, uh, or that tomorrow on the tube on the way into work, Himmler and Goering are going to overhear our conversation. That's just not the issue for us. But there are other people listening that mean that it is an important warning. There are other fires you and I can start in the language of James 3. Firstly, uh, let me give you three audiences who will be listening as you and I speak tomorrow. Firstly, yourself. I don't think it's uh, so much James' focus, but it is worth recognizing that you and I determine our own destinies by the words we speak about ourselves. The monologue, the commentary about myself, my situation, my relationships with other people. The things that we say to ourselves shape the reality we find ourselves in. Our, Our relationships, our understanding of what life is like, it is shaped by the words I speak. So be careful with your words. Careless talk costs lives. It starts fires. Secondly, other people. The words you use tonight and tomorrow can build up or destroy, cause damage or bring blessing. A secret lets slip. An accusation passed on without checking the facts. An angry word spoken in the heat of the moment rather than biting the tongue and waiting. But of course, there is a third audience, a far more important audience than either of those two. See, every word you've ever said, whether in, on your own and in a room, swearing without anybody else around, casual boasting to impress someone in a conversation, a lie that no one else could ever discover, every word has been heard by God. He is even the thoughts that we don't express. And that's why James turns from the image of the forest fire, the damage that can be done with our loose words to other people, to the fires of hell. 
Verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's shocking, a stark and a frightening image. The Bible is explicit that if we turn our backs on God and live life by our own rules, that one day he will turn his back on us and that we will get what we deserve. If we ignore the salvation he offers in Jesus Christ, then we will get justice rather than mercy. And the Bible calls that hell. It says justice will be terrible, whatever we kid ourselves about ourselves. A place of of burning regret. And the Bible is pretty clear in James that if the stuff that spews out of my mouth is selfish, impure, unkind, untrue, it shows that my heart is selfish, impure, unkind, untrue. And that tells me that my destiny is judgment. These are hard words from James. We'll look at the hope that is offered at the end. But these are very hard words. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The last section, believe it or not, is, is perhaps the most convicting for us. And, oh, really? <laughs> Feeling a bit punch drunk here. I'm afraid it is. As he condemns, well, I think what he's doing here really is condemning potty mouth praise. What he asks is, how can it be that with the same mouth that I sing praise to God, I also use that mouth to gossip and criticize other people? How can I do that? Verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He just can't see anything like it as he looks around. He says, you don't get salt water and fresh water from the, same, from the same river, from the same spring. You don't get apples and poisonous berries growing on the same tree. So how is it that my mouth can both produce wonderful words of praise to God and at the same time, tell lies and swear. I mean, how does that work? I mean, imagine a woman cheating on her husband. It's an awful thing. But imagine her turning up to the hotel room to meet her lover wearing her wedding dress. It's just, it's just somehow so perverse. You just think, no, of all the things that you would go to have an affair in, not your wedding dress. And likewise, James would say, of all the things that you would use to, to swear or bring down somebody else, not your mouth that praises God. In the Old Testament, the utensils that were used in the, in the temple were, were holy, sanctified. That is, they were set apart. They could only be used for, for the temple. So that the bowl that the priest washed his hands in, he would not then take home and, and wash his dog in it. You just, no, no, it's only for, for pure, holy use. And neither should we use the mouths that praise God, the mouths that speak about Jesus, Neither should we use them for base, filthy, unkind purposes. Okay, so what do we do with this passage? I don't think the point of these verses is that if you've ever told a lie, you are not a Christian. So breathe a sigh of relief. 
James, as we've seen, he speaks in black and white terms to wake us up. He said, look, you need to ask yourself, which direction am I traveling in? So I'm going to speak in black and white terms. You are either going towards God and following his way, or you are going against God and following the way of the world and your heart. Which way are you living? Is your tongue evil or holy? And he speaks in these black and white terms to wake us up so that we, we stop thinking of sin as something that just doesn't really matter. But his point is, is not to say that if you've ever sinned with your mouth since you become a Christian, if, if you're a Christian, then you, you're going to hell. His point is to challenge us. Look, just, just take a minute. Look at the way you speak. Does it show that fundamentally you are heading towards God's way of life, following Jesus, or that you are actually going the opposite way? Not are you perfect, but what's the fundamental direction? And he speaks in these black and white, extreme, uh, diametrically opposed terms to, just to try and make the point clear. And then James would want us to humbly confess our sin to God. To ask for forgiveness where we've wronged other people. And to seek the help of the Holy Spirit in changing. You know, we looked at Isaiah's, uh, the first reading was Isaiah's great vision. And when Isaiah falls on his face, a broken man, realizing God is so holy and I'm so sinful and my, uh, I'm part of an unclean people and I have unclean lips. He's not ruined, interestingly. What happens is God sends an angel to, to pluck a coal, a burning coal from the altar, the altar of sacrifice. And the angel touches Isaiah's lips with the burning coal and says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Now the coal came from the altar of sacrifice, which, which pointed towards the, the fact that somehow sacrifice would pay for sin, would cleanse the impure. It points to the cross where Jesus Christ would be the perfect sacrifice. He would be the one who would be burned up, consumed And pay for sins. He would hear his father condemn him as guilty for sin. And he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he would not hear God speak a word of justification and salvation. He would have silence. But because Jesus was proclaimed guilty, you and I who are guilty can be saved. God can speak words of comfort and forgiveness to you and me tonight because Jesus had words of guilt spoken to him. For all the wicked words you and I have spoken and all that they reveal about the state of our hearts, the lies, the the boasts, the gossip, the unkind put-downs, the filth, the swearing, for all of it, we can find forgiveness and God speaking words of salvation because Jesus took the punishment. And our lips can be touched, not with, a, not with a burning coal from the altar, but in the sense that uh, Jesus, as we put our trust in him, as we speak out, I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are cleansed, not just our mouths, but even our hearts as well. So humbly confess Humbly confess and you find forgiveness, salvation, whether it's the first time you've turned to God for, for forgiveness or the thousandth time. Tonight you can find forgiveness. But the second thing we need to, to learn to do is to speak Christianese. 
and we need to recognize we fail in this area. I don't mean, you know, when people arrive at church, have you been washed by the blood of the lamb? And I don't mean talking the sort of weird things that Christians sometimes talk in this weird Bible language. I mean, those of us who, who call ourselves Christians, we ought to speak in a way which makes it obvious to people that we are Christians. Uh, what do I mean? Uh, I don't mean um, uh, speaking in tongues. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. Um, whether or not our faith is genuine, it's not so much shown by whether we speak a heavenly language on Sunday, but whether on Monday we have the courage and honesty to speak the truth when we have stuffed up at work and it's going to get us in trouble. Whether on Tuesday we respond with a snide cutting remark to the snide cutting remark made to us or with grace and forgiveness. Whether on Friday we don't let that outrageously funny but really rather inappropriate story come out of our mouths. That's what it means to speak Christian. It just means to to have the stuff that comes out of my mouth shaped by the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. That's what it means, to have the stuff that comes out of our mouths shaped by the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts. See, our mouths have incredible power. After the service tonight, you and I can open our mouths and encourage people here who are broken. You and I can open our mouths and speak the truth gently to those who are making mistakes and need a loving friend to confront them. You and I can open our mouths and we can pray to Almighty God with somebody who is really struggling. You and I can even shut our mouths and listen to somebody else and show them the love and value that we actually have for them. And you and I can even bring the dead to life with our mouths. Do you know what the most uh, kissed face in all of human history is? No, it's none of you. It's, uh, it, is this, it is this lady. That is Rasusi Ann. Who here has kissed a Rasusi Ann in their life? Yeah, you'll be all right if you... Um, uh, Something bad happens to you tonight. There are lots of people who can, uh, who can administer life-saving aid. So this is the, this is the, um, the woman whose face was modelled. Um, her name's Anne, and she uh, was the model for the Rasusi Anne that is uh, all over the world, and people use it to practice um, giving the kiss of life to. And you can use your mouth. Has anybody here actually given the kiss of life really properly to somebody? Oh, that's a shame. Maybe somebody will have a sort of issue tonight, and we'll get to... No, no. <laughs> But, but you can, having learned to do it, you can use your mouth to, to bring life to somebody. It's an extraordinary thing. Except that, um, as great as it is, they'll still die after 30, 40, 50, 60 years. We all do. But if any of us also have an even greater power, if you speak the truth about Jesus Christ, as I guess somebody did to all of us at some point, If you speak the truth about Jesus Christ, you can bring people to eternal life, a life that will carry on forever. You have the power of life and death in your mouth. Use it for life. Speak of Jesus. Speak words of truth and comfort and love and grace. Let's pray. Our Father God, we... Uh, We confess the sins of our lips. We confess that much as we pretend otherwise, it does reveal the state of our hearts. And we are sorry for that. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness. Thank you that he was condemned for the foul things we say. And so we thank you that we can be made clean. 
And our Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would, you would shape our speech, that we would be a community that speaks words of love and truth, a place where it is safe for broken people to be because the speech is gentle and kind, a place where it is good for sinners to be because we love each other enough to confront one another. And a place where most of all, the Lord Jesus is honoured in everything we say. Amen.